0: Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit osbornmediahouse.com to get special access to, to. Come on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> Warning This episode contains foul language, a brief mention of abuse, and the use of the word freak. To Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we get to hang out and talk about something weird, and this week is certainly no exception at all, because... We're going to the circus! (sighs) This will, of course, be a two-part episode, because that's just how we roll, baby. This week... (laughs) We're covering the history of the circus and sideshow attractions and how they evolved into the famous American pastime we now know and how they influence the world we live in even to this day. So grab your clown shoes and jump through that ring of fire. My name is Ashley and this is my co-host Lauren. Hi, weirdos hello let's
1: go to the circus let's go
0: it's a nightmare <laughs> it's scary i hate it's really it really awful um, i don't
1: like clowns one bit so i hope you're gonna tell me lots of fun things about them today
0: um, you might not, not be there's not too much of it no yeah, okay, there's not good. too much about clowns <laughs> I, I would be interested. I thought about doing clowns and then I was like, you know what I would rather do clowns on is when we do a fears and phobias episode. Oh,
1: Jiminy Christmas. Yeah, that's a yeah. good idea. So
0: we can talk about like the etymology of a clown and like where they came from and why they instill so much fear in us, which why I think I've horrifying. already said. Yeah, on the show. But at the same time, like, boy, are they scary. And I, I don't think that it is all stephen king's it i don't think that no that it's was not. the origin of i the don't f- think it
1: is either i think there's other things and i again i would love to look into it and it would maybe be useful on an episode because i do think there's more to it and it's almost like i'm sure it has something to do with their faces are so painted and animated we just feel like we don't truly know who's under there it's it is scary. yeah
0: it's like in our DNA. It's back yeah. when we were hunter-gatherers. Like if you can't see someone's face, it's why masks are scary too right. because you can't convey like, are they dangerous? Are they safe? That unknown. Oh like? I yeah, don't like, like it. I can't identify you. Um, anyway, so we're uh, going shout to service today. What?
1: Shout out to us really quick regarding clowns and then I promise we can move on. Is that video of us still up on our YouTube channel of when we watched that terrible clown movie or did we take that down? <laughs>
0: That no that was a a bonus episode so oh, for all of you $10 patrons yeah. if you scroll back into our timeline from season I think it was season 1 yeah, we it was early. used to do bonus video episodes <laughs> We and had very special episode, reactions. We, you watched us watch this clown movie. I don't remember what the
1: movie is called. Me either. But it was gross and scary Spoiler and like not the best movie. But it definitely no. freaked me out. Like if that's what they were set out to do—is just disturb you to no end. They did that. And, it certainly worked. Uh, yeah, you can go watch our facial expressions.
0: <laughs> and speaking of patrons, we've yes. got a bunch of new patrons that deserve a shout out. So, let's give a big, warm, weird welcome to Joanne Gary. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Can we call you Joe? Jojo? Hey, Jojo. Joshua Bushy. Can we call you Bushman?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Bushman. Welcome.
0: Hello, Bushman. And Ren M. M for mystery. I have no idea what your last name is.
1: We but I'm like call you, Wren.
0: Mystery. You're not giving us too much. I'm into mm-hmm. it. Very nice, Wren. Keeping Ren. it. That's the secret to a relationship, too. Like always, keep them guessing. <laughs> yep. Always keep, keep the mystery like Little alive. surprises. That's exactly. right. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon. and We hope you're enjoying all your bonus episodes Yay. and your newsletter this month that just went out on time.
1: We- yes, we did it. <laughs> we
0: did it once again. <laughs>
1: it was a close call. <laughs>
0: It usually is. If you want to join our Patreon, head over to Patreon.com slash keep it weird Just a rundown, as usual, for $5 a month, you get a cool newsletter that we both put a lot of work into and is always on time, wink, and a discount on merch, and for $10 a month, you get both of those things, plus access to all of our bonus episodes and
1: video episodes from (laughs) 2017. From forever ago, but I still think they're a lot of fun, so go check them out.
0: Yeah, they might be. I should actually go back and watch rewatch them because it's been so long. Because it's probably know, maybe one of those terrible. where
1: terrible. Like, oh Jesus, like what were we doing? <laughs> it might be, but it's fine. Just but love us for who funny. we are, please.
0: <laughs> um. Anyways. Oh, also, I'll put this in the um, intro because I always put it at the end. If you have iTunes or an iPhone or access, ac- access, <laughs> or access. access to Apple Podcasts, head over there and give us five stars or the appropriate amount of stars. Yes. Whichever.
1: Thank you, please.
0: Whatever you think we deserve.
1: (laughs) Whatever we deserve. (laughs) So today
0: I'm going to start with Circus. Um, I'm doing the Circus um, portion of of this two-parter and Lauren is doing the Sideshow portion of this Mm two-parter and I'm very excited.
1: Yes. I'm so pumped for both. It's such... A crazy, interesting, wild ride, and I can't wait to hear what you brought. Let's do it.
0: So circus history, the idea of a circus has been around since like the beginning of time. Like a company of players get together to entertain people. Sure. But this is about the circus circus, like Big Top Circus, Barnum and Bailey Circus style circus. Yeah. And that kind of circus has a lot of historians disagreeing on its origin because some say that the origins go back to roman times because back then basically there was a building that was specifically for the exhibition of horse and chariot races staged battles pony shows and fights with trained animals and it wasn't like gladiator games where people and animals died it was all trained and choreographed okay it was a show and it was called a circus they called it a circus. Wow, And actually, the first circus was called Circus Maximus, and the final version of the building that like got torn down and rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt and added on over and over and over could hold 250,000 people.
1: Dang. Right? That is quite an arena. My goodness. But also, Circus Maximus is a badass name. I know. I like that a lot. Is that a band? Is that a new band? <laughs> it should be.
0: I feel like that would be the a name for a Panic at the
1: Disco album. Yeah, totally. Panic at the Disco just dropped Circus Maximus, circus September Maximus. 2020. <laughs> Love it.
0: So the rest of the historians uh, who disagree with the Roman thing say that the origin of modern circus is all because of a man named Philip Astley who uh, set up the very first modern amphitheater, actually, mm-hmm. in England. Okay. He built it for the display of horse riding tricks specifically. And this was in Lambeth, London in 1768. And he was not the inventor of horse riding tricks. He was not the first person to introduce acrobats and clowns to the public. But he was the first to create a space where all these acts were brought together to form a show. Okay. Makes sense. And uh, the reason... That it was a circle. So he performed his horse riding tricks in a circle. And back then there were circle horse performers and straight line performers. Oh. Um, So he built the building into a circle shape because that was his style. Right. So the circle with the amphitheater type seating and the entertainment that he offered, all of that together made up exactly what we now know as a circus.
1: Yeah. It's always the circle. So he was the start of that, of that tradition. Yeah. Okay. pretty much.
0: Very and nice. I don't know have you ever seen uh the horse performers? I don't know that I
1: have actually.
0: I we grew up in the Midwest and me even like further south than you. Mm-hmm. So I've been to my fair share of rodeos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which I which also have like, not.
1: I've never been to well, a rodeo. Really? Yeah, which I'm surprised because they did happen quite a bit in the Midwest. Like I'm actually kind of ashamed to admit that I've never been to one. I need to go.
0: Oh, gosh. I actually, I was really good friends. Uh, My friend Natalie Langenfeld, who was my my best friend. I went with her and her sister. We would like travel to different rodeos because some of the rodeo boys
1: were so fucking cute. Quite handsome. I believe it.
0: Uh, And then you meet them and they're the dumbest people alive. (laughs) No offense (laughs) to any of these boys that I met as... uh, uh,
1: bull riders I don't know what do you call them rodeoers rodeo bull riders? men. I have zero clue like I said yeah. I know nothing of the rodeo I don't imagine we have many rodeo dudes listening to our podcast but if we do I'm so if we sorry do, sorry but also
0: you're dumb <laughs> but the cool part about the thing that I liked about the rodeo were the the horse tricks because it was literally people that would like get the horse running really fast and they would stand up on its back and like mm-hmm. ride it standing, I, I, it was just like amazing. I couldn't believe that either party could do that—the horse or yeah. the person.
1: I mean, it's so impressive that the horse is trained that well, but also how are you balancing that way, human? I don't, I don't get it. On a full running horse, anyway. Right, it's pretty amazing.
0: So, Astley's show was hugely popular, so it was very quickly followed by others. And at that time, circuses were not mobile; they were held in all kinds of. Um, sort of like all-purpose buildings in large cities. Okay. America was in the circus game at the time as well. Um, Victor Pepin from New York was the first American to operate a major circus in the United States. Then an establishment called Purdy Welch and Company began to spread it far and wide because Hmm. Joshua Purdy Brown was the first circus owner to use a large canvas tent for the circus performance. And therefore was able to set up a circus in any town that would have them.
1: And that's become the touring circus that we know Mm -hmm. that just pops up tents wherever they want to be.
0: He was not the first circus to tour that had been going on since the 1700s, but they could only tour to big cities with big arenas, whereas this gave them the opportunity to literally go everywhere.
1: Yeah, just find an open space and pop up.
0: And they traveled in caravans anyway, so they just, like, put the tent in the back and, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) went to the next town. And it's actually funny how this happened because this wasn't, like, an idea he got from a dream. Basically, they were going to Wilmington, Delaware to perform the show, and this period in history was an era of religious uh revivalism it was the evangelical second great awakening because apparently religious people have to wake up at least once a century to make everyone's lives miserable
1: oh gosh uh, sounds bad is exactly right. what happened
0: so they banned public amusement
1: they oh, literally okay.
0: canceled fun like fun was not allowed no shows no theater no nothing Ugh. And so Purdy Brown was there and he was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with my show? Yeah. Like, we can't perform in this town. So what he did was to get away with it, he made this canvas pop-up circus just outside city limits. So it was technically not illegal.
1: Right. He was outside city lines. Yeah. Very so they smart. couldn't do
0: anything about it. And not only did the tent allow the circus to go everywhere, it also gave it like a kind of edge because they would set up the circuses on like outskirts of towns and it was sort of like a, I don't know, it felt like rebellious or like yeah. dirty, sort of more dangerous, like anything could happen because you're not right. like going into a set arena. It's like, I don't even know who these people are <laughs> or what kind of facilities they have. What are we
1: about to get into? This is This is, is very
0: DIY. I'm very excited <laughs> to watch this
1: show. Ugh. I love it.
0: So um, there's a lot of cool history to the circus, especially in Russia. Oh. Lenin actually wanted the circus to be like the art of the people. So he set up a very famous school to this day, the Moscow Circus School. And now some of the world's greatest acrobats and circus performers ever come out of Russia. Oh, and um, yeah, and it was huge at the time, of course, unfortunately, you know, Soviet Russia and it basically turned into like a big propaganda machine because like mm-hmm. Lenin started it. So it was like a government run thing. It was kind yeah. of a nightmare. But now still to this day, people go to circus school in Russia.
1: Dang. Dang. I guess that makes sense because their gymnasts are always so good at the Olympics, like Russian gymnasts, Mm -hmm. and the circus has some of those same elements with trapeze, and I mean, many of the performers have to be flexible and do their thing, so this actually makes a lot of sense.
0: If anyone ever watches America's Got Talent, there's always a fucking contortionist Russian woman on the show, (laughs) like every They know how to bend
1: that body. Never (laughs) fails. It's true.
0: But I don't I don't have a lot of time, and I have to get to P.T. Barnum. Oh, Lord,
1: have mercy. <laughs> uh,
0: as in Barnum and Bailey Circus, as in The Greatest Showman on Earth. So P.T. Barnum was born in Bethel, Connecticut. He's a Connecticut boy. He was a businessman. He had several businesses. Um, he had a general store, a book auctioning trade, real estate. He started a weekly newspaper at one point. Actually, because of his newspaper... <laughs> He went to jail for a little bit. Oh dang! Basically, he was publishing a lot of editorials against the elders of local churches, Mm. and that turned into libel suits. And he ended up going to jail for like two months. Dang! So
1: well, sorry
0: about it. But when he got out, he was known as a champion in the liberal movement from then on. Um, Okay. Except that he was awful. He was fucking awful. He he was the worst.
1: He was a dick
0: so how did he get the uh into the entertainment business uh well in 1835 he learned about a blind and almost completely paralyzed slave woman former slave woman named joyce heth and she was she was already being shown around by an acquaintance of P.T. Barnum. Um, Like, he was taking her around town saying she was George Washington's former nurse and she was 161 years old, which turned out, like, of course she wasn't. Mm -hmm. Well, P.T. Barnum saw an opportunity to make money. And uh, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, what the fuck? Fortunately, (laughs) slavery was outlawed at the time in New York. But, you know, the greatest showman of all time found a way around that by leasing her for a year for a thousand dollars. Like crazy. he paid a thousand dollars and not to her. She did not get paid.
1: Right. She didn't get any of the money. He paid no. to buy her and continue slavery.
0: <laughs> yeah. Barnum would work her for ten to twelve hours a day um he likely there's no record but um just judging by what she looked like before and what she looked like after and uh he got a hold of her he likely extracted the teeth that she had left to make her look older than she was and when she died in 1836 instead of giving her a burial and letting her rest in peace he decided to host a live autopsy of her body in a new york saloon where people could watch for 50 cents
1: (sighs) he's a psychopath it's so gross
0: uh, and the autopsy, of course, revealed she was around 80 years old. So technically, she was his first hoax. That's kind of how he got started in entertainment was
1: yeah, hoaxes. I mean, he is known for like lying his way through entertainment for sure. Seriously, through everything.
0: After that, he didn't really get too far with showbiz because he immediately tried to get like a variety troupe and he mm-hmm. tried to tour and it was not great and no one wanted anything to do with him. So that didn't work out. But in 1841, he purchased Scudder's American Museum in New York City, which he then improved. He upgraded the building, he added exhibits, and he renamed it Barnum's American Museum. And it became super popular and honestly sounded dope. Like it yeah, sounded I'm sure awesome. it would have been a good time. He added a lighthouse lamp on top that you could see like all up and down Broadway. And there were these beautiful paint giant paintings of animals on the building. And the roof of the building was transformed into like a strolling garden with a view of the city. And he launched hot air balloon rides off of it.
1: Dang every day. Sounds
0: amazing. Yeah.
1: I would have gone for sure. (laughs) I I definitely would have have attended. Like that sounds awesome.
0: So that's where he added live acts. He hired albino people, giants, little people, jugglers, magicians, et cetera, et cetera. Um uh-huh. And this is also where he really started with his hoaxes. So... Uh-huh. In 1842, literally just a year in, he was like, forget real things in a museum. (laughs) (laughs) I want to feel it with weird stuff that's not real. He introduced the mummified remains of a creature known as the Fiji mermaid. Ah, yes. Which is a creature with the body of a monkey and the tail of a fish. The Fiji mermaid obviously was the terrifying work of a taxidermist. And that's a whole story that I might actually end up covering on our bonus episode this month. After that, he exhibited a performer known as General Tom Thumb, aka the mm-hmm. smallest person uh, that ever walked alone. He was a very tiny four-year-old that Barnum said was eleven, uh, <laughs> and he was drinking wine by age five and smoking cigars by age seven for the public's amusement. Cool guy,
1: Goodness cool Barnum. Gracious way to do that, wasn't he? Like related to Barnum too? I thought yeah, I remembered he was like that.
0: a he was like a second cousin to pt barnum that pt basically like adopted because he uh he did have it wasn't dwarfism actually like still to this day people aren't sure exactly what he had but he after he turned like one he just didn't grow anymore so he really was like i think when he died he was like two feet tall he was very 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 small so tiny yeah um but you know all of his siblings his parents were like average height neither of them were too short or too tall or really short or really tall and Mm -hmm. all of his siblings were an average size so when pt barnum was like i'll take him his parents were kind of like okay
1: yeah (laughs) i don't think that they
0: they might not have like given him up so easy if you know pt barnum was like is it cool if i give him a cigar
1: right (laughs) i wouldn't think so
0: but they did and the thing is too uh his name was charles what did i say his name was charles stratton um okay and he lived a pretty normal life he lived it well into his 40s so good for him
1: so he wasn't like he wasn't super hindered by whatever was going on with his body Mm -hmm. because i feel like he could have died so young if something was really holding him back so that's good
0: And with the wine and the smoking at that, you know, at four and seven, you know, it's nuts. He took Tom and a few others on a trip through Europe and just started collecting things and people (laughs) from all over the world (laughs) uh, to come back to the United States with him and start a new show. He just didn't know what kind of show yet. And he built, uh, he ended up building New York City's largest and most modern theater. He had to name it moral lecture room because at the time all theater was seen as a den of evil and debauchery which is a very white and very christian
1: yeah i was gonna (laughs) say the most christian thing i've ever heard god
0: forbid we have a theater in our town so right (laughs) he did put on some like watered down versions of shakespeare plays Uh, He put some like flower shows together, beauty contests, dog and pony shows, whatever he could think of to go in this building that wasn't going to like ruffle any feathers. Mm -hmm. He also created America's first aquarium. So that's cool. Well, that's actually pretty cool. Expanded on the wax figure portion of his museum, which also started that new trend in America that we saw there for a while. People love
1: wax museums. I don't. I don't give a shit about them. I don't like them. Pardon my French. I think they're so weird, but people, I mean, not really now in the age of COVID, but like everyone loves the wax museum in Hollywood and it's so weird to me. Um,
0: I feel like I might enjoy the photos that I get out of it, but I don't know. You know what I would like more uh, as opposed to like celebrity wax figures? I would rather have sort of like what Ripley's does, like right across the street from Mad- Madame Trousseau's, which is like, here's a figure of the tallest man who's ever lived, that guy from Illinois. Right. Because yeah. then you could stand next to it and actually like gauge the size and like a wax like, figure. Look how huge of, he is. Yeah. General Tom thumb. That would be interesting, too, because like to hear about it and see a photo is one thing, but to like actually stand next to it. Totally like stand next to the, the wax figure and be able to be like, holy shit, like that was a very small man.
1: Yeah. And that's why I like Ripley's because they're more about the oddities and the bizarre things that we all want to see. Now, sort of in person like the most in person that you can make it with yeah. statues but yeah the wax museum they're just making today's famous celebrities into wax the one thing I like is when the actual celebrities go and take pictures with them and every once in a while you're like it took me a minute to see who was the real <laughs> to one
0: figure out which one
1: <laughs> that part's fun
0: I like the meme about Mark Zuckerberg's wax figure looks more like a human than Mark Zuckerberg he does. himself.
1: Yes. He has more life he behind is his a eyes. a robot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is something I don't think most people know. I didn't know this and I, my mind was kind of blown. P.T. Barnum didn't get into the circus business until he was 60 years old
1: whoa he was I not a I young he was man. That old.
0: yeah wow uh i feel like every portrayal i've ever seen of him in like film and television he's
1: been younger he's been like 40 maybe right i was trying to think of how old what's his toes is in the greatest showman which i know is like the very exaggerated musical version but hugh jackman i mean he's not is he 60 yet he looked young in the movie i don't, I don't know, know
0: if he's 60 yet he's a looker though
1: he sure is so he's one of those that it's hard to tell you're like it's I don't hard care to tell and also
0: like i'll ignore your age i don't care how old you
1: are you could be 75 and i'm ready doesn't
0: matter so he didn't get into the business till he's 60 he started pt barnum's traveling museum menagerie caravan and hippodrome in wisconsin that was the whole name <laughs> that was the whole name <laughs> with a guy named william cameron coop uh, and that went through several names. Of course they changed the name, because why would you keep that name? Um, yeah. P.T. Barnum Doesn't quite
1: roll off the tongue.
0: Traveling World's Fair was one of them. Uh, they tried out Greatest Show on Earth for a while. They tried out the Great London Circus, which is like, who? <laughs> Until they merged in 1881 with a man named James Bailey and his partner James L. Hutchinson. Which eventually shortened to Barnum & Bailey's and obviously stayed that way for a very
1: long time. That was the smartest name you could have done. So simple.
0: Alliteration. It sounds great. It's simple. It's easy. We know what you are. They revolutionized the circus for better or worse, mostly worse. They added large animals. Their first big attraction was Jumbo the African Elephant. They added acrobats and an entire ring for their sideshow, aka the freak show. They were the first circus to own their own train, which was cool. Oh wow! Yeah, they started traveling by trains because, of course, they would. That's so much better than a caravan. Um, and right. and Pe- Barnum and Bailey weren't the first ones to think like, let's ride the train instead, but they were the first one to have enough money to be like, I'm buying my own train. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is <laughs> to just transport our train, my
0: circus. <laughs> Later on in life, he became a Republican. This was the time that the Republican Party were on the right side of history and opposed slavery. And um, he kind of begged the world's forgiveness for the way that he treated non-white people before his career as a showman and in the beginnings of his career. And because of that, he kind of rewrote his own history because people don't really talk about that part of his life, even though it was a huge part of his life. And even after he started, like, you know, quote unquote, mistreating non-white people he still made racism fun
1: yeah he, he still made somehow. it so that
0: you know the people ha- were
1: entertained
0: he paid the you know the african man that he brought over from whatever region of africa you know what i mean he paid him yeah. he fed him he right. didn't you know he took beat care him. Of him. he took care of him but he still had him go out there as an ape man right you know he still made it like He's a fun cool people, thing to be yeah. racist
1: everyone but, was just having a ball
0: you know my like, whatever one famous quote of his actually does not exist um he's quoted as saying there's a sucker born every minute but there's actually no proof of him ever saying that and oh, it's gosh. probably more likely that one of his rivals said it about him and his large
1: audiences that makes sense he had so many enemies
0: so many i mean everyone fucking hated him and like why wouldn't you yeah But the cool thing about P.T. Barnum was he had his finger on the pulse. Like he didn't think he was tricking people or fooling people with his hoaxes and stories. He knew that they knew it wasn't real. That's not the point. They wanted to be tricked. They wanted to live in this fantasy world. And that's how he looked at his audiences as being like in on it with him.
1: Like he was like winking
0: at them. So emerging as well at this time were five brothers in Wisconsin, the Ringling Brothers.
1: Ah. There was
0: actually seven Ringling Brothers, but only five of them went into the circus business. Okay. They started out as a small caravan that grew and grew and grew, eventually made enough money to travel by train. P.T. Barnum died, and Bailey purchased the museum from his widow and obviously took over the circus. And because Bailey took the circus on a tour of europe he decided he wanted to do a big tour of europe and ringling brothers they had the opportunity to kind of take over the eastern seaboard as well as the midwest because barnum and bailey's was still the biggest ticket in town but since they went off to europe for like i don't know eight to ten months or whatever ringling brothers was like let's get in there and like take over
1: yeah let's see what we can do here
0: Exactly. When Bailey returned and he now had, you know, he had competition for the first time in the United States, really. Man. And it was fierce competition. So he decided to take the show west of the Rocky Mountains for the very first time. This was in 1905. And he died the following year. And that's when Ringling Brothers bought Barnum and Bailey's. And they ran the circuses separately until 1919 when they merged them and became the greatest show on earth, which is what they were Uh, called for a very long time.
1: This all makes sense now.
0: Yep. Circuses remained a popular source of entertainment. They even made it through the Great Depression. But after World War II, television arrived and it was kind of all downhill from there, especially starting in the 1960s when animal rights activists got involved Ringling basically was the last flag flying and they performed their last show in 2017. But like Man, most things, that was so recent. It was so recent, but I do remember when they announced it and I was like, thank
1: God. I know, they were I still do too. using
0: <laughs> elephants and giraffes. Yeah, and... they still
1: weren't doing great things. Like mm-hmm. we all were questioning it just a bit. So I do remember being like, oh yeah, this should probably come this to th- an end. Should probably happen? Yeah, it makes sense.
0: But like most things, circuses didn't die. It just became something else. Today we have different forms of performance art. And the obvious success story that is Cirque du Soleil, the Canadian circus company, who makes like $900 million a year.
1: Cirque du Soleil is doing just fine. They're doing And those shows are so great. And they're not using animals and they're not abusing anybody or exploiting anybody. It's just a bunch of tumblers and trapeze artists showing us they are awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, and and they found new ways. They were like, okay, so why don't we add in really cool music and lighting and like set designs and stuff like that to make that another layer of yeah. And they theme all of
1: them. Like, each show yeah. has a theme, and which is so cool. And, like, I don't know. It's just they really figured it out with Cirque du Soleil. I think it's so fun.
0: So, obviously, next week, I'm going to talk about a lot more of the bad stuff when it comes to circuses. But as for this week, <laughs> uh, that's pretty much all I'm doing next week. The circus in America was extremely innovative and were always some of the first places where you could witness advancements in technology. So afternoon and evening performances would showcase things like electricity, cars, film. We hadn't seen that shit before.
1: Right. (laughs) It was all new.
0: They would even perform reenactments of current events, like almost like bringing documentaries to people all over the country who would not ever get to see these things played out.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So circuses educated millions of people. They introduced and integrated new ideas in fun ways. Like, uh, I was reading a lot of historians say that America may not have accepted electricity as willingly as we did if it weren't for places like the circus, who would, yes, frighten you with it, but also get you excited about it. Totally. Yeah, that's true. Because not everyone had access to go into, like, oh, Edison's, you know... Zip zapping a a fucking elephant down the street, you know what I mean? Like people in the in our neck of the woods in Southern Illinois didn't have access to seeing what Edison was doing, so the circus would bring little.
1: Yeah, they were able to show them like this is what's going on. You're seeing a spectacle that you didn't know existed.
0: You didn't know existed, and here's the cool shit that it can do for you someday. Right. Once we're able. And also, um, circuses employed thousands of people who may. Not have been able to make a living otherwise.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: A lot of the, you know, the talent, fine, but especially the sideshow attractions and uh, a lot of the men and women who worked as like the rubes and as the, you know, the drifters that would come in and out that would say like be missing their arms and legs. And it was like, we have a right. job for you. We have a job for literally yeah, everyone. We will take
1: you in. Yes it was I do think the circus was so good for that and like as I'll talk about with sideshows too like they really took the people in that didn't think they had any options and would never get a job and I feel like that was so cool that was a really great part of it
0: yeah um and that's all I have for circuses this week next week will be a lot less fun
1: it won't be (laughs) as fun and entertaining no it'll still be entertaining but in a dark way (laughs) Well, we can jump into some sideshow history, which I mean, you will hear it's obvious, like Ashley even mentioned the sideshow a few times, like sideshow and circus have so much overlap, because they were very involved with each other. And the sideshow eventually just became a part of the circus. But it actually started out a thing of its own. It was its own little (laughs) sideshow is the perfect term. It was a sideshow that like needed to find its ground. But Going through the history was really fascinating because you realize, and it's not surprising, that humans have been fascinated by abnormalities and deformities and things that just seem like magic but are not. Like, we've always been fascinated by this, and yeah. why wouldn't you be? Like, it it feels so different from the norm, and we get excited. So the first pair or like entertainers, they didn't even mean to be entertainers, but they go as far back as the 17th century were these conjoined twins. Their names were Lazarus and Johann Colorado. They were from Italy. Um, they were probably the world's most famous siblings from back in the day. And many cities liked to play host to these brothers as they traveled throughout Europe. They were born in 1617 in Italy and they fascinated and horrified the general public. And here's why. So Lazarus was thought to be this handsome, appearing otherwise perfectly healthy guy, except for his conjoined brother, a man y- named Johann who protruded upside down <gasps> from his brother's chest. What? He was significantly smaller than Lazarus, and it was basically just his upper body and his left leg was visibly extending. Everything else was melded into his brother's torso. Oh, my goodness. And there's not a ton on these guys. There's not a ton of history on them because it was so long ago. But yeah. it was. it is believed that his mental capacity was not great and that mm-hmm. he could say very few things and didn't fully understand what was going on. His eyes were constantly closed. And for the most part, his mouth just hung open and sometimes even his tongue would hang out. So everybody just sort of looked at him as like this useless appendage that was hanging off of his brother Lazarus, which is so sad, but I mean, nobody had really seen conjoined twins before. It was like, we don't, know what to do with this well
0: and it would be super interesting if we had someone like that today because you could actually test the brain waves and the brain exactly and find out like
1: we just have so much science now
0: <laughs> yeah and then man i'm just thinking now i'm i'm off in my own
1: world now <laughs> i know you could go down the rabbit hole of this. i
0: was like would it would it be more humane to to kill him you Honestly, know what I mean? I know
1: that's horrible to say, but probably yes because he wasn't he's hanging off of his brother. He's mm-hmm. not living a fulfilled life. It doesn't seem like he's capable of, you know, even creating s- sentences or his own thoughts yeah. on the world. Like it it really is sad.
0: That's something that I know is like a hot button issue for a lot of people, 100%. you know, even just like cuz I think it's very humane. I think that if you, you know, are terminally ill, that you should yep. one hundred thousand percent be able to say, "I would like to die." Can you
1: yeah. give me a dignified death, please? Exactly. Like my quality of life is not good. I am in pain constantly. I'm I am rather enjoying choose the way when I living. die yeah. than
0: like, "Oh my god, is it happening today?" Oh my god, is it happening today? Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. Suffering. So I, man, okay, all right. No, I'm putting I that away. You. It's horrible. I'm gonna yes, think about that away, as but... I'm going to sleep tonight.
1: you're gonna think about this forever
0: (laughs) but for now i'm 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 back
1: (laughs) (laughs) so lazarus went on tour with his brother in order to earn a living so that's why these are kind of like it's like it's weird to call them a performer because they weren't performing but they're kind of like the first like oddity you know to go on tour it wasn't a known thing so lazarus was going on tour with his brother And they traveled to England to make an appearance at the court of King Charles, I, which was a huge deal. And it was in the early 1640s. And when they weren't touring or on exhibition, Lazarus would just shield his brother away from the public, which again, goes with what we were just saying, like he was not even a part of this world. He wasn't contributing anything. He wasn't getting anything. He would just go under a cloak on his brother because he was just hanging there. So their popularity grew and grew because everybody was fascinated by these people. Um, Lazarus was basically in perfect condition. Nobody really knew what to do with his brother who was hanging off of him. But they kept touring around and became really famous. And they're sort of known as like the first sideshow. And it dates back as early as the 16th century. This is even before Lazarus and his hanging brother, Johan, People were very fascinated by physical deformities and abnormalities, and they were no longer deemed as bad omens or evidence of evil spirits residing within a person as they had been in years past. So the 16th and 17th century, we finally moved to a place of we can accept these people. They're not Satan. They're not pure evil. We Mm -hmm. just are amazed by them and kind of want to see what they're going to do. So anyone who had an unusual physical characteristic became a public curiosity and they would also kind of tour around and just be this showcase that people could come look at. Some of them actually had sideshow managers. This is when, you know, like the showmen, kind of started coming forward of people that led them around and told them where to be and gave them the jobs. It is unknown again, because it was so long ago, whether Lazarus, had a manager leading him around, or maybe he was just doing it of his own authority. But a lot of them had a manager and they would just split the profits as they went from place to place. But whatever the case, it really wasn't until the 19th century that sideshows or freak shows, as they were called, became a big thing. And I don't love the word freak show, even though it's like the name of television shows and used so commonly now. But I just I'm kind of giving a disclaimer and a warning. I'm going to say freak show quite a bit while I tell these stories. And I'm even going to call the performers freaks because that is what they were referred to at the time. I don't love calling people freaks because it just sounds so derogatory and not great. But
0: if you talk to sideshow performers today, they will say Mm -hmm. I'm a freak in a freak show. Like, call me a freak. That's what I am. I'm proud of this. That's my title. And like, yeah, they might not have been back then. Of course not. You know? They were doing what they had to do to survive, but that's an interesting one, and I don't know the answer to it.
1: I don't either, but I just wanted to give the warning in case anybody is offended by the word freak and doesn't like freak show. It's just I'm telling you the history, and that was what was historically accurate at the time, so that's just where we're headed. But Okay, so sideshows or freak shows basically were this form of entertainment that had like a variety of of entertainment going on each evening within their shows. So the most common of sideshows were called 10 in ones. And they basically brought on 10 performers or freaks onto a platform and they would just bring an audience through and they would literally just walk through and stare at these 10 people who all had different either birth defects or just or abnormalities that had come on over life, or they hadn't, you know, grown to a certain height. There was lots of dwarfism on the stage, but people would just walk through them and look at the 10 performers on the platform. And every now and then they would throw in a magician into the mix because they wanted to give the crowd a break from some of the more unsettling things they were seeing. But not all performers were just the natural freaks born with the physical deformities There were also performance artists who had talents like fire eating, sword swallowing, and full body tattoos, which we still see that today. Mm -hmm. Like that's normal at the circus or sideshows, whatever. So there were these performances as well. Um, A lot of shows back in the day were regarded as inappropriate for women and children, and they would have men-only sideshows. And these often included the display of Anything that felt too exotic or objects that felt unnatural that they thought women and children were just too innocent to see. So they would only invite the men. And an example of this is something called a pickled punk, which I hate. It was an abnormal fetus that was preserved in a glass jar. (laughs) Which is just the worst thing I've ever heard, and something I would not like to see. So thank you for making it a men only show, because I wouldn't want to go to that. So
0: funny because that, that um in next week's episode slash the episode are we're you about talking to record, about it? well no i have I have a section where it's like, hey, guess what this lingo means and oh, pickled punks was one of them and I, I i'm sorry i cheated no no no, it's fine i said it to joe earlier and he was like a uh, drunk guy and i was like that is a really really good guess but no it's a fetus
1: i would never have guessed a fetus like i'm kind of sad i read this because i wonder what i would have said if you had just blind <laughs> blindly asked me that but yeah when i
0: read that i was but. like holy shit what a dark yeah. dark nickname
1: a dark, dark, horrible thing that people went to see.
0: But so also in- that ended up getting sold to actual, like, scientists Yeah, that were able to learn for a good. lot from exactly these, you know, deformities, so.
1: Totally. It ended up, once you get into the hands of science, it's good because they're going to try and figure things out, but... Uh, Just send people in to stare at it on a stage. That's the part I just, I don't want to be part of. So the growth really happened around 1844, and it is a big thanks to the man we don't enjoy, American (laughs) circus pioneer, P.T. Barnum. American
0: hero, P.T. Barnum.
1: That American hero that we do not enjoy, but... I mean, it's like you said, he really is the greatest showman. Like, he knew what he was doing, even if he was exploiting people. Like, he he knew how to do it. He knew entertainment. He knew how to be a businessman. But he um, traveled to England in 1844 with Tom Thumb, who you were talking about. And this was kind of the first time in England that sideshows really got popular. Because there had been little things here and there. And there had been, you know, some people being toured around, as we talked about, being shown off if they had deformities. but. Once Barnum brought Tom Thumb to England and, you know, started spitting his lies about him and making it, like, even said he was English and not American so that he felt like a local, people got so excited that they were like, oh, we need to make more of a spectacle of this. This needs to be more of our regular life. And... um like, even, I think at one point they went to see, who was it? I thought I had it in my notes. Oh, Queen Victoria. The, <laughs> they, he presented Tom Thumb to Queen Victoria, and she was a huge fan of this and was obsessed and was like, we need to have more sideshows. I want to see more of these performers, blah, blah, blah. So it became huge in England. And then back in America, uh, sideshows had started back in like 1829, around the time of the arrival of Chang and Eng, which were the original Siamese twins. Yeah. Like, they are they're the reason Siamese twins like that term was coined. And we'll we can talk more about them later. But that is why like things started to become popular in the 1830s. But American sideshows really didn't start taking off until the 1840s as well. It was sort of when P.T. Barnum was just getting crazy and showing everybody that it could be basically like going to the theater. So The Victorian era is basically called the heyday of the freak show and the sideshow because it was the age of scientific and medical advancements, and the public was just becoming more and more curious about the unexplained oddities they were seeing. And freak shows were staged at both entertainment venues, but also scientific venues because doctors were just as interested. And it was drawing young children to old men and women to doctors to anyone in the medical profession because... Truly, we were just so excited about seeing anything that was different from us at this time. And there was one really famous incident that explains the best way um of how people were thinking during this time of what was going on in the Victorian era. This wasn't even a sideshow guy, but it was this man named Hu Lu. He was a Chinese man with a fifty-six pound tumor on his oh. scrotum.
0: On his scrotum?
1: On his scrotum, oh, Ashley. Fifty-six pounds. He was never publicly displayed as a freak, but he was brought to London for a medical procedure. And when people got word of Hulu's arrival, crowds swarmed to the hospital and they were all standing outside because they're like, How do we get in? How do we see this guy? We have to get a look at him. Like, this is how bad people wanted <laughs> to see like, Ma'am, deformities. This
0: is a Wendy's. Can you please?
1: <laughs> Excuse me. Please. This is an Arby's. Can you step back? Um, sadly, Hulu died on the operating table after having bled to death. I know it was horrible, but his story swept through England and people were just going crazy about this guy. And it like, it just both showed the good and the bad of what was happening during this time of like, people had no boundaries and had no limits, but also people were starting to become curious about people who were different from them because in both England and in America, I mean, still in America today, we're seeing it. People were scared of what they didn't know. And now people were starting to accept like, oh, this person looks a little exotic was the term they would always use. And it's like they were starting to accept and want to learn more about this. So not only was the 56 pound tumor (laughs) exciting, but also because, you know, he was Chinese. They were like, oh, well, tell me more about Chinese ideologies. And just they wanted to learn more. So that was just one example of people like going crazy during that time. So as sideshows were growing, the showman became more and more the essential component to making the sideshow or freak show successful. The talent in the showman had to be the ability to recruit a person with an unusual disfigurement, talent, disability, whatever, and bring them to use as an attraction and find a way to make money with them. And a showman basically had to have an alter ego, a stage persona that became their public identity, and who they were recognized as with the audience, but. Um, the showmen also had to be able to kind of hide their freaks and their performers because it had to be a big surprise for the public. So they, they had a tough job. They were securing the locations, hiring the people, then hiding the people and making the show what it was. And these larger than life personalities during the Victorian era became an art form. It had nothing to do with even the show itself and what you were bringing around. It was just like, what story are you telling? What character are you bringing? Um, And they had to be perfect, which is why Barnum was great at it, because he just became so good at lying and making any person or, you know, object look amazing. And even like you were talking about the mermaid that he totally made as a hoax. It was like he just he came up with that and he ran with it and he knew how to make a show. So Barnum had a talent for that.
0: Last week or the week before, the week before, uh, when I was talking about the history of tattoos, the tattooed women they made up their their stories too um, when oh, they were yeah. part of the sideshow, you were that. as opposed to you know they they got their tattoos like everyone else did, but they would say like They'd I was make kidnapped a by a group of Native Americans who right gave me these tattoos as a form of torture, and they're telling these stories, and everyone's just like what can you believe <laughs> what that? Is going and on. they were making so much money. They were making I know. stupid
1: stupid money. And like, and yeah, good half of it is the story. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy. It's like you, Barnum and whoever, whoever was running the sideshows could present these people as much as they wanted. And yes, a lot of them did look like the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. But if there's no backstory or no like either heroic story or terrifying story, people, they will lose interest. And it's like they, the showmen they ran it. They had to be talented. They had to be good. And besides Barnum, I knew you were going to talk about him a lot, so I didn't put a ton in here, but he did have a counterpart. There was an English version of him named Tom Norman. He was over in England kind of doing the same things. And in the 1850s, when Barnum actually was like taking a breather, he was struggling with some debts from failed business ventures and like not doing as much. This is when Norman started to rise to success because he was taking all of Barnum's ideals and just doing it over in England. So... He started out small. He was just renting the shops of small businesses for a few days at a time to show off his oddities and his people. He would just pop up a small stage or a curtain and make it work. But by the 1880s, Norman's Traveling Freak Show was a huge hit. And by the end of the 19th century, it was like a permanent fixture everywhere. In any big entertainment venue in the city of London, you could find one of his freak shows. In 1883, Norman gained two of his greatest sensations, which were Marianne Bevan, the world's ugliest woman, and Joseph Merrick. I know, it's horrible. And Joseph Merrick, better known as the Elephant Man, which we, I think everyone has heard of the Elephant Man. and. I'll touch on them more in part two, I'm going to talk more specifics of the performers, but they're both very famous, you may have heard of them. Um, But sideshows, basically, whether in America with Barnum, or whoever, there were sideshows everywhere, or with Norman, who was making it work over in England, they were sort of the same, they started to follow the same path where it was a category each night. That's how they kept it fresh and kept it different. Um, Depending on the entertainment that they booked, they would make a theme for the night, whether it was dwarfs or tall men or bearded ladies, whatever was coming. And it was also common to have specific exhibits set aside for women and children. Like I said, they used to be like, okay, men only and didn't really have the family friendly ones. So but Norman was good at this. He started to cater to the women and children and made family friendly events um And the elephant man actually was perfect for that, because even though like, I guess you could say some people maybe thought he looked creepy with the appearance that he had, but for the most part, anyone could come see him. And that's how he became so famous. So another big thing showmen would have to do was they would not let any doctors come visit their performers if they were able to avoid it. Obviously, sometimes I think medical professionals got in because you can't, you know, watch who's coming into the show that often or you don't have that much control of it. you try to but for the most part they tried not to have doctors ever come visit their performers because if any of their freaks got a diagnosis or a classification of their deformity it would ruin the excitement and the mystery and the miraculous feel of the show so they really tried to keep that away and keep it as oh this is just magical and we have no information or explanation sort of like joyce where it's like she's 161 and doctor's like she's 80 it's
0: like now you just have an 80 year old you just have an old woman
1: you have an 80 year old woman and nobody cares like we've lost all interest that that's exactly it um norm both norman and barnum claim that they were very friendly with their performers and that any rumors going around that they mistreated their acts was a lie which I do believe somewhat because you even said like Barnum is a lot of things and he's crappy in many ways but I don't think he was like abusing the people. Um I think they were trying to be as fair as possible. They were exploiting them. For I sure. mean that is that is a form of abuse in another way, but I I do think like for the most part from the history that I was able to gather the money was usually split very fairly and they were giving these people something to do, which was huge because a lot, again, we mentioned it earlier, like these people were not finding jobs otherwise. So he was giving them money. He was getting them into the light, which some people really enjoyed the spotlight and it wasn't always a bad thing. And Norman came out very publicly saying how angry he was about his reputation as a mean and unfair showman. And Barnum didn't always say a lot in the public eye fighting back, but I'm sure he agreed. And, Norman said he was actually very friendly with all of his performers and there was never an issue. So take that for what you will. But it always seemed like they had a friendly rapport besides the, you know, whole exploiting them for their birth defect. thing. (laughs) But also on the other end, the freaks and the performers were often perceived as stressed, stressed out pushovers, unhappy with their lot in life. But in many cases, and especially during the Victorian era when this was blowing up, Nothing could be further from the truth. Like many of them were able to defend themselves against their managers. They would talk back. They would fight for themselves. They would demand raises when it was appropriate. And as early as 1851, I thought this was a cool thing. There was this popular trend to sell trading cards, like basically baseball cards of the popular performers throughout England and the U.S. And the profits from these cards went straight to the performers themselves. There was no middleman. Nothing went to the showman, and I was like, "I love that." And a big example of this was a man named Isaac Sprague, which again I'll talk about next week. He was named in America the human skeleton, and he had one of the most successful trading cards because at five six, Sprague weighed only forty three pounds. Oh no. He was the skinniest, sickly-looking guy. It's crazy town. And he toured with Barnum all through the 1860s, and he made a huge sum of money off of his cards because people were just blown away by this guy. So... For some of the more willing performers like Sprague, they would even put their biographies on the cards and they would put their biographies on the pamphlets being passed around town, which just showcased them even more. And they just learned to work the system. So they were actually making amazing money and were not being screwed over by the showmen or their managers at all. And the showmen and the freaks would split their profits evenly from ticket sales. That was always the deal pretty much across the board with sideshows, but the performers slash freaks, whatever you want to call them, were better off in the end because the showman had to pay for the rentals of the location, like heating, lighting, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the profits for the sideshow performers were just going straight into their pockets. So they may even have been better off than their showman, which I love. I'm like, hell yeah, you should be because you're the reason people are coming. But um. Yeah, that was kind of the gist of it. And a lot of performers also argued that their lives were better, as we said, because they they got out of isolation. They got out of this place of feeling like nobody cared or understood them. They were not able to get jobs before due to their appearance. And this was their way to make money feel like they were normal even if the crowds were maybe laughing or making fun of them even despite that they thought well I'm still I'm doing something I'm not afraid to be in the light anymore I'm I'm sure there was also a sense
0: of camaraderie too yes with the other performers for sure it's like you realize okay we all have our things that's bigger than you could ever know being able
1: to know that you're not alone yes there are other people who get you who understand you and everybody's different in some way so i a lot of the performers truly did say like i'm happier this way and you know there's there's good and there's bad to these stories and again we're going to touch a lot on the more depressing things in part two sorry everybody but there were a lot of happy performers and then similar to the circus there was a decline of the sideshow or the freak show By the 1890s, it really started to dwindle and then basically there was a complete disappearance by the 1950s besides the sideshows that are attached to like carnivals and circuses. But as far as the standalone sideshows, they basically didn't exist by 1950. So in the early years of the 20th century, there was a huge rise in disability rights, which inspired people to turn against sideshows and what they deemed as full exploitation of you know, these people just for the form of entertainment, which is completely fair. People were starting to learn, like, these people don't have anyone to fight for them, and we want to be them. So they came forward. And then also something I would never have thought of, but with the advancement of transportation, railways, steamships, any way to get across the country and to go to other countries. It gave more access for people to travel. So the idea of foreign and exotic and, like, quote-unquote, the other that feeling started to go away because people were able to travel. Yes. That was the next thing I was going to say is like TV came forward. It was like you could travel on your own and go see other countries and other exotic people if you wanted, but also you could turn on your television and watch anything you wanted from the comfort of your couch at home. And it's like, you just didn't need these sideshows anymore because you could learn for yourself and you were seeing so much more. And also with the advancements in medicine, As we expected, because it was starting to happen anyway, more doctors were able to diagnose these performers. And as a result, the sideshows lost their appeal because there was no mystery. There was no miracle. We were learning what they actually had, and it started to fade into a sense of normalcy. And also, there were some people who said, oh, they just have a disease? Well, I'm not going to go anywhere near them because I don't want to catch their disease. I don't want to catch their sickness. So then there's those a-holes too. But, um... By the 1930s, sideshows were also deemed as lacking in dignity. This was kind of like the final straw where it just became this lowbrow form of entertainment. And in 1932, the American film titled Freaks was released and it was hated by basically everybody because it featured actual real life freaks who had been in sideshows. There was the limbless man Prince Rendian, which we'll talk about, the legless Johnny Eck, which we'll talk about. And then conjoined twins, Violet and Daisy. And there was so much controversy around the film that they actually had to take it back, heavily edit it, make it look a little nicer, and release it again. But nobody cared, of course. But typical America Took it and it is now a cult classic and is still screened today at cult film festivals. If you ever want to look up how to see the 1932 film Freaks, which that is one thing that I love about our country is how we grab something that was deemed trash and make it into a cult classic where everyone can say every line word for word and give these people the respect they deserve. Well,
0: also, critic, like modern critics, it, it is a good movie.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's not bad. People just weren't ready for it. That's the issue. (sighs) Yeah, They just... Everything about sideshows at the time, it just was starting to freak people out. And it became this thing that was looked down upon after it had been entertainment for so long. Many nations took to banning sideshows completely in the 30s and 40s. And again, with the rise of television, it basically made them obsolete because it just... It wasn't needed anymore. And sadly, unable to land proper jobs but also unwilling to just fade away and like not go into the background. People still had to find their way to work. These performers and these freaks said like, we still have to find our way. I'm not going to go be a nurse tomorrow or a teacher, but I have to figure something out. So they luckily were able to find uh, the circus or travel, any other traveling carnival. Some museums were still taking people. So, A few of them were able to land jobs. A lot of them just kind of lost their livelihood, which was sad. But there were a select few that were able to land future jobs for much less money. But, hey, it was something. And the last thing I'll say is the last remaining sideshow is actually Coney Island in New York, which isn't too surprising if you've ever been to Coney Island. Um, It definitely doesn't draw the amount of guests it once did, but it still remains like the spot the staple of the type of old-fashioned freak shows that were once so popular. It's been around since 1983. It's called Sideshows by the Seashore, and it's it was a huge tourist attraction, still gains a few people here and there. I mean, they haven't closed completely yet. Um, it's not open due to COVID right now, but it does still exist. So we have that. If you ever need your fix, you can feel like you're at an old-fashioned sideshow. I think it's a lot more of, like, fire breathers, swallowing knives and swords it's a lot more performative rather than i think the deformities and abnormalities but it exists and otherwise we just have movies and tv shows to look at
0: the venice boardwalk freak show closed
1: when like two years ago yeah kind of recently maybe it was one of those things where like i didn't
0: even hear about it i just happened to go to venice beach one day and it it was like wait what wait what (laughs) <laughs> yep. like i couldn't believe it was gone and the thing was is a lot of the time especially if you're out on on the venice boardwalk and it's not summertime months yeah it was closed but it still said freak show and like it still had all the illustrations she thought on it, it still
1: existed yeah
0: now it's like just painted o- it's just a building and it's paid they painted over i don't know it's just really sad
1: it is sad. I mean, it's not a surprise, but it no. is sad. But I think one of the good things about Venice Boardwalk is you don't necessarily need True. a building to host the sideshow because a lot of the performers will just be out Very on the sidewalk showing you what they got. Okay.
0: It closed in 2017. So basically like right okay. after we started this show.
1: Oh, my gosh. It was like we started this show and they said, you know what? Ashley and Lauren are going to take it from <laughs> you know here. You They've got it. <laughs> We can finally They've got go got it, home. guys. God. <laughs> we can finally pack it up. Um, No, the last little bit I'm going to say, and this will be super quick. I just wanted to name, you know, some of the popular shows that have come out, which I'm sure you guys will know a lot of them, but it's like sideshows don't really exist anymore, but we still have that curiosity about them. And clearly, because these movies and TV shows have done quite well, but we have Ashley's favorite film, The Greatest Showman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lying because she probably will never watch it in her life. Probably but not. that came out in 2017. Hugh Jackman was playing P.T. Barnum, but it is loosely based because <laughs> they make him look very nice. But man, I love to sing to that music. There was a movie in 1980 that came out called The Elephant Man, which my little side note about this is I watched it when I was really little. And my mom watched the first half with me and then I think I had to go to bed. So we turned it off. And she said to me, she's like, don't watch the rest of this without me. She had seen it before. And she knew how it ended. She was like, don't watch this without me. But of course, I'm an idiot kid. I think I was like eight or nine. So one night when her and my dad were out... I watched it, and it's the first movie I ever cried at. Because as a kid, I had not gotten emotional at a movie before. My parents literally got home from their date as the movie was ending. The timing could not have been better. My mom ran in and was like, what is wrong? Because I'm bawling my eyes out on the floor. I was like, I finished Elephant Man. (laughs) It's heartbreaking. He did have a very, very sad life. And it was just, yeah, he was just not served a great... A great life guys but that was that freaks 1932 we've i mentioned it a few times Is definitely a movie worth watching it's
0: awesome too because all of the people in that movie like you said are actual they were real sideshow performers yeah. and it's their performances are really good
1: They're so good. Like, they deserve so much more credit than they got when the movie was released. Like, they were so shunned and hated on, and I'm so happy that it became this cult classic that people appreciate now, because they were awesome and so deserve the credit they're getting now. So those are big ones. And then there was a horror movie called Sideshow, released in 2000. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? No. I kind of want to watch it I mean it doesn't have great ratings but I feel like it would be a fun one for you and I to watch at some time and just eat popcorn and drink wine and enjoy it what else was I gonna say no those were the big ones. water for elephants well yeah water for elephants that's more circus I would say I was doing more sideshowy. oh is the greatest showman
0: more sideshowy
1: I would say yes, because a lot of it is focused on how the people who have their weird tricks or their oddities start to feel a little mistreated Mm -hmm. by Barnum or, like, ignored. So that's the only reason i put it more in the freak show category. However, yes, there is a lot of circus associated with it.
0: Funny story about Water for Elephants is that that was being... Well, that was just a movie that was being filmed when we were doing background work. Extra work. And I never got on the set and i was so pissed because the people that did get on the set got booked like uh 80 more times like it was like if you get Seriously? on the water for elephant set we will call you back every single day like i remember um, my ex-boyfriend sterling he was one of the rubes and he made so much money just like getting to dress up in like the old-timey clothes and just go hang out in the middle of the desert with Reese Witherspoon.
1: No, you know who we have to call out is everybody's favorite guest, Tyler, because Tyler he too. was on that set uh, like every dang day and they all made so much money.
0: Yeah. It was crazy. See, I'm still count. mad about it.
1: It's been a decade. <laughs> no i'm the same as you i had just started doing background work when that started filming and i remember meeting all these people on the set of like other random shows and they were like "Ooh, girl like try to get your casting people to get you on water for elephants that's where the money is and i was like okay sounds great and nobody booked me not once Live it want on. <laughs> um a little shout out to a season two episode of x files i did it just for you there's <gasps> oh, an episode called humbug one. Humbug, Yeah. It's actually known for being one of the like sillier ones of the X-Files because the monster of the week was like a conjoined parasitic twin that like wasn't actually scary. I think it made people laugh more than anything, but it's still remembered by many people and enjoyed by everybody. So that is another good pop culture reference. And then... There is a book called Geek Love that apparently is really popular about a family, like it's about parents who decide they're going to make their family into a sideshow and they kind of like force them into these talents that none of them wanted to have. They go on a traveling sideshow and a lot of people like it. And then there was also a comic strip called Zippy the Pinhead, which was very popular. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because it was heavily based on the pinheads who were in the freak shows and we're going to talk about a lot of the pinheads next week, specifically the one named Schlitzie, who American Horror Story was based Mm on. And I didn't even mention American Horror Story, but it's because we've talked about so much on this show. But obviously they did a whole season dedicated to Freak Show. They made it extra murderous and scandalous (laughs) and wonderful, but it's good and it's totally worth a watch. And many of the people that I'm going to talk about in part two were characters that ended up on the show. And... Yeah, I just love that sideshows have still carried with us and get notoriety because those people absolutely deserve it. They went through a lot of hell, but they still found their way in the world, made it work. I really, truly do recommend
0: watching American Horror Story Freak Show. And I'm saying that to the people who've already watched it and said I don't like it. Watch it again because I fucking hated it. (laughs) Give it another shot. I hated it. I didn't like it. I thought it was trash. Then I rewatched it because I was showing Joe every season, and I I love it. I think that season's really great. Yeah. I love the relationships between all of the performers. And I read about it too afterwards, and I, I realized how much care Ryan Murphy, as flamboyant as he is and has absolutely crazy that he makes these shows. He really does take care to like accurately portray how something took place.
1: I agree. And he did a really, he good really job does with take that. the time mm-hmm. with that. That's something I love about Ryan Murphy is like he does so many different styles of shows, and that makes me respect him so much. Is it's like I can't believe that this same man is putting out this variety of shows, and he takes such care with each one and makes sure it's historically you know, are...
0: accurate. Yeah, and yeah, exactly.
1: He puts the accuracies in, but then puts his own spin on it, of course, to make it more entertaining. But he is so good at you know being true to the people that it's based on and trying to be true to the timelines the best that he can and he's great he is and I it's like not just guy. because
0: we know him okay
1: <laughs> he's just really great <laughs> we might have worked with him on glee and we're best friends we weren't best no friends, we weren't but, but we he's very nice
0: i yeah I, I my thing with ryan murphy and brad falchuk are like do you sleep do you sleep
1: yeah. Do you ever sleep? You do so much. I do, you do nothing everything. and I'm still like, there are not enough hours in the day. I'm so tired. I'm crying, but I feel like I did <laughs> sit down for quite a long amount of time. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing.
0: Okay. Well, we should move on because we've got another episode to record, guys. We've got part two. That's right. Well, that's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for listening to our show every week and hanging out with us in our Facebook group. We love chatting with you guys. Boop, boop. If you aren't already, follow us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast across all platforms. Also, join our Facebook group so you can hang with us every day. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash KeepItWeirdPodcast. And check out our Etsy page at www.etsy.com slash shop slash KeepItWeirdPodcast if you want to grab some merch. I hereby vote. <laughs> I hereby <gasps> declare... That our (laughs) sign-off for the duration of quarantine is just a reminder to be good to ourselves and good to each other.
1: Oh, thank God you're saying that. Because A, we have not been creative on our sign-offs. And B, it is such an important message that both heavily applied to body modification and heavily applies to this week of the circus and sideshows. And it just means it applies to life.
0: It's a nice reminder to one take care of yourself because this is a weird fucking time for everyone and every bad day that i have where i'm literally like freaking out and i'm like what is my future gonna be?" i have to remind myself that like there are literal millions of people that are going through the exact same thing that you are going through right this minute you are not alone so take care of yourself take care of each other teach each other be patient with each other and keep it weird together
1: beautifully said keep it weird everybody Sorry. Get it.
0: That's a paella. <laughs> so special. Such a special girl.